0: The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Elisa Pressman, and today I'm answering the call of so many parents because I'm here with Peggy Orenstein, and we're going to talk about raising good men. You may recognize Peggy from her taboo-shattering New York Times bestseller, Girls and Sex, where she really shed light on the reality of what's going on with girls. With her new book, Boys and Sex, Young Men on Hookups, Love, Porn, Consent, and Navigating the New Masculinity, there is a much-needed companion in this era of raising kids post Me Too. Today's discussion is so important, and it's the beginning of a long conversation we're going to continue to have. I think this has been a, a conversation with parents that I work with, with friends of mine, mothers of sons, that the, that's the big question mark. How the hell are we raising good men right now?
1: I know, I know, So
0: I know. There you
1: took it on. I had the same thing that when I started going around with girls and sex, so many mothers particularly would say to me, would you please write a book about boys? Right. You know, and uh, and that's a really big shift, just that people even want that is a huge shift and really exciting. Um, and then uh, then me too came along right and I think that revealing sexual misconduct across every sector of society you know that was just an earthquake um, and it really shook I think parents of boys but to me you know that obviously we need to reduce sexual violence that's just you know of clear course. but it also, I think provided this opportunity mm-hmm. um, to start talking to boys and bring them into the conversation about sex and intimacy and gender and power and masculinity in ways that we never have before.
0: I thought it was really interesting, and if I'm really honest with even what I what I think about what masculinity is or how we define masculinity, thought it was really interesting that you said it. it hasn't really changed that much. No. And it feels like it's changed so much and it feels like, oh, well, there are certain things that we say differently now and there's certainly different attitudes that we're supposed to have, but behind closed doors or under the hood, it comes back to the same kinds of... Expectations about what defines masculinity.
1: Yeah, you know, so yes, boys on one hand, they absolutely felt girls deserve their place in the classroom, on the playing field. They had female friends, girls in leadership, they totally respected that idea. But in the private realm, they were still learning, and possibly even more powerfully, I think, that sexual conquest was the measure of a man. Um, that it's about stoicism, about dominance, about aggression, um, about, you know, how many people you can have, as they say, sex without feelings, how many people you can hook up with Mm -hmm. and not treating those partners very well. Mm -hmm. Um, And you hear that in the language boys are absorbing about sex. So, you know, they hammer, they nail, they pound, they bang, they tap that. You know, it sounds like they've been to a construction site. Really, not like intimacy. And the truth was, was that it wasn't like the guys that I spoke with were, for boys and sex, were particularly happy with that situation. They may be part of it, but they didn't always want to be there. As
0: you were saying, it's not necessarily that even the boys that you were talking with were happy with that, but it still is. It's not
1: being changed. I mean, who's telling them differently? Mm-hmm. Really? You know, I mean, that's what it is. Who is telling them differently? Their parents aren't necessarily. I mean, what they would say to me is, my parents told me to respect women. But what, what does, does that, that mean? mean? Right. You know, what <laughs> does that mean? One guy said, it's like if you told me not to run over any little old ladies and then handed
0: me the car keys, you know. Of course, I don't think I'm going to run over a little old lady, but right.
1: I don't know how to drive.
0: Mm-hmm. So that's what I want to talk about is let's take that and talk about learner's permits and right. getting getting to What's know how to, what permit? is a car and how do you drive yeah. before we get to this big thing of like respect women and all of that stuff. Yeah. But we're, you know, as we're raising these boys, what are the messages? And I want to start with, a, well, two different things. One, I wanted to talk about masculinity and how we define mm-hmm. it because I noticed that one of the A very common question in my mom's groups and with clients, dads, moms, and other caregivers is surprisingly, how do I get my little boy to be less of a wimp? Yeah. And they all say it with a face of like, ugh, like I I don't want to say this, but I kind of am worried that my kid's kind of a wuss. I
1: hear that. I hear that a lot about the littlest boys. Yes. Um, And it's really early that they realize that they need to stop that. Mm -hmm. I mean, they have figured that out by the time they're about seven or eight, they start what boys would say to me was, I learned to build a wall. I trained myself not to feel, you know, and vulnerability is an essential human trait, Mm -hmm. right? We have to be able to be emotionally vulnerable or we can't have successful relationships. So we are cutting that off when we cut that off in boys. And so I always think that instead of trying to raise a boy to be, you know, less of a wimp, think about raising a son who's resilient, mm-hmm. raising a son who can appropriately express emotions, being able to name and understand and
0: process um, how he's feeling about things. Those are really valuable traits. It's interesting because I was talking about, um, I was talking with Dan Siegel, who has spent a lot of time. Yeah doing attachment research. And we were just having a conversation about the fact that there's this particular kind of insecure attachment, avoidant attachment, where you build these walls in order to keep yourself from having to depend on anybody else because you learn in those early years that that's just not what your caregiver, your primary caregiver is going to be able to give you. And when we were talking about it, I was thinking sometimes... Culturally, it feels like a real brag to be able to say, like, I don't need anybody else. Mm-hmm. And like the strong, silent type, especially or maybe exclusively for men. Yeah, And so it really comes down to in order to build healthy relationships, you need to have from those early years, these, these secure attachment relationships. Yeah, And yet we're also giving that message of avoidance, of right. having any kind of vulnerability and appropriate, as you said, appropriate emotional responses to things. Yeah. And then we're expecting to have healthy relationships with these boys who are growing into men.
1: Right. It's like we wanted them to have, if they show that kind of emotion, instead of thinking, well, how can, you know, what would would a healthy version of this look like? We Mm -hmm. just go, don't have that. And so it's not surprising, I suppose, that when I would talk to boys about love, Mm -hmm. that they generally wanted love attachment relationship, Mm -hmm. but they thought that that was a personal quirk of theirs that was not shared by their peers. Right. So they're all thinking, you know, I'm the weird one who wants to have that kind of attachment and connection, um, and everybody else doesn't. And so even guys who did want that, um, would sometimes behave in ways that were completely counter to that in their intimate encounters with girls Mm -hmm. or other boys, if that was the case. Um, because that was what they thought they were supposed to do. They were they were trying to teach themselves not to do that. Or another thing that really interested me was a boy who'd had um, a sort of traumatic first experience with intercourse, mm-hmm. uh, and he was talking to me about that and saying, you know, two things about it. One was he said, "You can't tell other guys that because if you're a guy, you know, it's got to be great." It's not not even it's got to be great. It is great. Right. There's no bad pizza. There's no right. Yeah, there's no bad pizza. But the other piece um, that he said that really interested me was, I know that with girls I've talked to who've experienced sexual trauma, they strive for usually more trust in their future relationships, more intimacy, Mm -hmm. more understanding. And what boys often would say to me was, I'm never going to let myself be vulnerable like that again. Mm -hmm. And even to the point of hostility
0: towards women. So they would go the opposite direction. It was fascinating. And so those early relationships, those first romances, those first hookups Mm -hmm. are really planting seeds for how they're viewing those interactions and whether they're going to be positive or negative. And then, you know, I actually can think of so many people who had that bad first experience, so many boys who then said, yeah, I'm, and that was the day that I realized I'm never putting myself in that position again. I will
1: never put myself out there again. I will never. And, you know, do they get past that?
0: Sometimes, Right. Right. And just like, do they evolve
1: past, you know, being gross and crude and in the locker room about girls and calling girls bitches or whatever into mm-hmm. something that's more caring and connected? Some do. Mm-hmm. But what I sometimes wonder is at what expense to whom
0: along the way? Mm. Let's talk about the masculinity trap huh? and go from there. All right. Tell me what's a, a way out. Have you found a way out of this trap in the research that you did and through the people that you talked to?
1: Well, I think that when we talk to our boys about it um, and make that visible, Mm -hmm. that's one way out of the trap. I mean, I think we really, I think we do a much better job than we used to with girls, right? Of telling girls. I mean, you do it, I do it. Um, There's organizations that do this, (laughs) that talk to girls about um, what the traps are that they can fall into around body, around beauty, what the media messages are to them, all the right. things that are harmful that we know, that the American Psychological Association did a whole report on why these messages are harmful t- to girls.
0: But we see ads and we'll say something to our kids yeah. about, you know, what message is that sending? And right, all to that.
1: our daughters. But and, but or I used voice. to say um, to my daughter when we would see, uh, like, Disney cartoons, I would say, mm. look, you know, her... Uh, Her eyes are bigger than her wrist. Is your eye bigger than your wrist? Is your head bigger than your waist? I mean, yeah, that's right. Um, I had to think about that for a second. Yes, no, my head is smaller than my waist. Um, We don't talk about those things with boys. We don't point those things out. We don't talk about the power dynamics of gender with boys. You know, we might say... Again, respect women. Right. we might say, make sure you get consent, make sure she says yes, but we don't talk about all the power dynamics involved and make those visible to boys so that they can combat that for their own good as well as for girls. And I think that you know everything is not perfect with girls in terms of how we've combated those messages, but we have come a powerfully long way.
0: And we're clearly on it.
1: Yeah, we're clearly on it and I honest and that actually crosses you know, political spectra, it is, I mean, that is a pretty universal thing that mm-hmm. we realize that those old messages, I mean, I've been doing this a long time. Mm-hmm. And I wrote my first book about girls in 1994. And I know, I'm right. very old. When, um, <laughs> And at that point, when I remember that um, mothers of, and fathers, but mostly mothers of girls would come up to me and say, you know, I want to raise my girl to stand up and speak out and you know, all of that. But, oh, you know, if I do, I'm afraid that she's going to be socially marginalized, that people are going to call her a bitch, that, you know, she won't have a boyfriend. And so I feel in a way that we are with boys where we were with
0: girls 25 years ago. So I had the opportunity to try on, keep and enjoy a beautiful piece of jewelry to make sure that I felt comfortable doing an ad for this jewelry. That's Noemi. Noemi is a jewelry company that believes that luxury jewelry doesn't have to be overpriced, and they cut out the middleman to deliver exceptional fine jewelry without the traditional retail markups. Noemi designs and manufactures everything in-house and sells directly to consumers with a lifetime warranty and free shipping both ways. So you save an average of 50% compared to other luxury brands. And let me tell you, it just feels even better because Noemi actually uses ethically sourced materials. So the diamonds are conflict-free. And it also uses 18-karat gold repurposed and recycled. Beautiful, and obviously you can't see the difference, but you can know that you did a good thing. There are thousands of five-star reviews on their website, so you can go see for yourself. The other thing that just makes this pretty much a no-brainer is that you can return any order for a full refund. Even if you had it engraved or did a custom design, it's literally an entirely risk-free experience. The authenticity is guaranteed with an IGI certificate detailing color, clarity, and appraisal value. And you can even use flexible payment options with no hidden costs and no extra charges. is an awesome experience. If you're looking for quality fine jewelry made to last a lifetime from a luxury brand you can trust, it's Noemi. They have thousands of five-star reviews online. You should read some and see why people are raving about this company. Go to hellonoemi.com, H-E-L-L-O-N-O-E-M-I-E.com slash slash humans to see their collections and get $50 off your first purchase with promo code HUMANS. Hello, H-E-L-L-O, no N-O-E-M-I-E dot com slash humans. Don't forget to use the promo code HUMANS for $50 off your first purchase. Hey, this is Alexis Haynes. Join me every Monday for a new episode of my podcast, Recovering From Reality. Whether you're on the road to recovery, seeking self care techniques for surviving the capitalist machine, or just need a moment to remember that you're not alone in your loneliness. I'm here to deliver intimate conversations and expert insights to empower you on the road towards authentic wellness. So are you ready to recover from reality? if we're empowering our girls and while we're sending these messages of let's stop all of this nonsense and the me too movement there is a fear amongst moms of boys especially and maybe it's just those those are the people that I'm talking to that it's coming across as boys are garbage and that's yeah. you know the message and we have to we have to get rid of all of that and start fresh, but it feels like there's a little bit of a message of, don't say anything, boys. You guys have blown it. And men, you have blown it. So let's leave this to the women because we need to, um, because it's important. Mm -hmm. Because we have things to say and there has, there's, there's been gross injustices, But I am wondering, what are boys, especially younger boys who are growing up now, thinking when the conversation is about consent, consent, consent? There isn't, you don't really, I mean, you mentioned this, that consent. Makes sex legal. Yeah. (laughs) But like the actual joyful, healthy part of sex and relationships is kind of going to the side because we've got to really get these messages about consent yes. so clearly. And they're crucial. So important. So crucial. So but I they don't know also how to become, come to become a stand
1: in yes. for a lot of other conversations that we need to be having. So let's and talk about those conversations. conversations are about personal responsibility mm-hmm. and they're about pleasure and they're about mutual gratification. Um, and they're the positive messages of what we, you know, we can't just keep telling boys, don't, 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 don't. Right. We also have to tell them, hey, what, what is the, you know, what do you want? What do you want, you know, did, Andrew Smiler, who I quote in the book, was a psychologist, says, you, can I be vulgar on this show? Yeah, I think oh, so. <laughs> um, I always have to ask. Um, but he said, you know, y- you, you want to talk to your son about the quality of the sex that he's having, not, you know, just the quantity. So, like, if you want to really be, like, vulgar and put a fine point on it, you know, Do you want your partner to just be somebody that you masturbate into? Is that basically, you know, that which is basically what a hookup is, you know, is that what you want or do you want something different? What's the context of that orgasm Mm -hmm. that you want to have? And I know that a lot of us would rather poke ourselves in the eye with a fork than ask our sons that question. (laughs) Um, But, you know, some version of that to be talking about what is a healthy relationship? What are we what what's the long game? What, is mutual, what do you think mutual gratification looks like? What do you think connection looks like? What does it mean to have sex that's disconnected versus sex that is connected? As one guy said, you know, casual sex
0: can be great, but sometimes you prefer, you forget to treat your partner as human. Now, that there was another interesting—you've you've brought up a lot of interesting points just now. For example, we might want to poke our eyeballs out yeah. to have that conversation. They want to poke their eyeballs out, too. They so do, it's too. A, it's a really tricky thing because yeah. boys both want— and this don't information want. and mm-hmm. don't want.
1: And there is research that says that when parents provide that information, it is at least somewhat influential to them, and more to boys than to girls. Right. So they
0: are hungry for that information, and because girls will th- get it, it a little bit more through their peers, and and we do tend to give information more. We tend to give to information girls. more to girls,
1: yeah. Um, and boys, you know, and one thing that they say, I mean, we're talk we've talked a lot about mothers, but. A lot of them said to me they wish that they heard more from their fathers.
0: Yes, so that's what I was getting at. Not to give this stereotype, but is this a lot? A lot of this is about getting dads also to really have it is, or male role models, whoever the mm-hmm.
1: the male is, um, the father figure in mm-hmm. a boy's life. And I know that's hard because their fathers didn't talk to them.
0: Right. This is the this is a clean slate. Yeah, it's, it's and you have to-, to make
1: a big leap. But, you know, the boys would so consistently say that they wanted to hear from their dads. And they also wanted to hear not just what we've been talking about, but they kind of wanted to hear about their father's journey and their father's regrets Mm. as well um, and how he handled those.
0: So mothers, I think, want to and tend to be the ones to have this conversation. Almost always. But fathers, we want to enlist fathers and fathers want, I know so many fathers who are like, I want to have these conversations with my boys. Yeah. But I don't know how to have these conversations. Yeah.
1: It's, and the boys want it too. The boys talked a lot about wanting fathers or father figures, whoever the man was in their life, mm-hmm. um, to have these conversations about sex, about intimacy. And also, it was interesting. They wanted their fathers to talk to them about their own journeys and their own regrets. Um, to help them you know process what was going on in their lives and I guess I'd say you know for the dads I mean I know nobody talked to them right just right. like nobody really talked that much to us but you don't have to be perfect
0: I mean I think you just have to throw that out you know that's so important I want to um you emphasize to say it twice that. yeah I want you to say it again
1: <laughs> you don't have to be perfect no. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to do it in one fell swoop. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a lot of little conversations. You can... Right, you don't have to have the big talk. You don't have to have the big talk. You can say, hey, you know, what I said before, I want to say something else about that. I'm not sure that was right. Or you can say, you know, I realized you're 16 years old and we have never had a conversation about, you know, about porn, about media, about sex, about intimacy. And that's a mistake on my part. And I know it's super awkward, but... um, Let's do it now. And you do it, you know, do it when you're on a walk. Do it when you're throwing a ball. When you're not looking at each other. Do it when you're not, do it in the car. I always say that. I think my daughter actually dreads getting in the car with me. Because she knows. Because she knows. (laughs) If there's going to be a talk, that's when it's going to happen. But, you know, you're you're not, you're trapped, Mm -hmm. first of all. Completely. Um, And uh, you're not making eye contact. And also, I mean, honestly, I hoped that the book itself would act as a tool in this way that it would you know that parents could read it yeah and hear what was going on but with boys, boys and girls can read it can read it and girls too yeah and and have and use it as a jumping off point for discussion or even just within their own heads to help them start thinking about how to have a more meaningful dialogue with other people in their life whether that's other boys, whether that's girls that they're gonna intera- interact with mm-hmm. or whether
0: that's you know themselves. I guess what you're saying is have a conversation. That if I could distill, you know, two hundred fifty pages into one <laughs> <life, laughs>
1: it would be talk to your boys. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to talk to your boys. If you're if you have these fears about you know what's going to happen to them when they go out in the world, then you better talk to them mm-hmm. about not just again not just about the consent, bad. not right. just about the bad, but about what to do, and also making them really aware of the influences on them. You know, the influence of media, the influence of porn, the influence of just growing up. Male And the ways that men learn to prioritize their own pleasure over women's feelings, the ways that men learn to overestimate yes and see anything a girl does as indication that she wants to have sex with them, especially when they're drunk, that they perce- they are less likely to perceive no or a partner's hesitation when they've been drinking. I mean, that whole piece is something we've talked a lot about, you know. Not blaming girls for their drinking mm-hmm. and not saying you deserved it or you asked for it because you were drinking. But we have talked a lot less about the impact of alcohol on boys' perception, judgment, and choices, especially around sex. Mm-hmm. And and it's um, significant and it's something parents really need
0: to understand. We had a wonderful opportunity to have that conversation with our children when um, the Supreme Court nominee was being interviewed. Yeah, And <laughs> unfortunately, I shouldn't call it a wonderful opportunity, because obviously that was a very but an opportunity. But it was an yeah, opportunity. An important opportunity. And I think if anything is coming out of this very disturbing political climate, it's an opportunity to have very real conversations. Yeah.
1: There's always something right now. Mm-hmm. Um unfortunately. And that is the that is the opportunity, and to not just the the kind of big stuff, because there's a there's a tendency, both for us as parents and for boys, to think that only
0: monsters engage in that kind of behavior. Thank you for bringing that up. I, I mean, your book obviously yeah. addressed this a lot, and this is a really please keep going. I didn't even mean to interrupt. Oh, that's, that's all right. a great point. Um, or that if you engage in sexual misconduct, that you are automatically
1: a monster, and. That really blinds us to the kind of coercive and non-consensual and quasi-consensual beha- behavior that boys, that the good guys can behave in. Because, you know, a good guy can do a bad thing. And that's why, to me, in a lot of ways, the most interesting um, revelations during the Me Too conversation were the ones around Aziz Ansari. Mm-hmm. And although I think um, those weren't necessarily very responsibly reported. hmm It revealed a really ordinary dynamic and, you know, a guy who's just another overeater dude trying to coerce a girl into sex and seeing her limits as a challenge that he's supposed to overcome. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't know that he needed to be vilified for that, but I think that that's a really great conversation to break down with. Your son. There's so many things right now. I mean, there's there always so many opportunities, but it's, it
0: can't just be like if it's just the Weinsteins or the Ailes, right. th- that then they're not going to relate. It's it's true. Finding moments to find good guys yeah. who blew it, yeah, and really or having, good guys who stand up, you or know? or even things
1: like, um, you know, Dan Harmon, the guy, the creator mm-hmm. of Rick and Morty. He did an apology on his podcast. He he read his apology to a woman that he had. Um, harassed at uh as a who was an underling um mm-hmm. on a previous show that he was on and it was a like a it was a fantastic apology i think everybody should listen to that apology i think everybody should you know hear chanel miller who was victimized by brock turner read her victim statement um that she read in court you know all these things that we can show boys again this is again going back to kind back to of the, don't yes but <laughs> it's part of the education to help humanize what that don't sounds like more Mm -hmm. um, along with trying to do more of the do's and providing information and resources for them. If you can't, you know, personally say
0: clitoris to your son without falling through a hole (sighs) in the ground. What are some things let's talk about the do's and let's get a little bit earlier because I did also find it very striking that we know girls get more information about sex from their moms and peers, Mm -hmm. but that such a huge percentage of boys find pornography as sex education. Pornography becomes sex education. Right. And so
1: that's another place. And, you know, curiosity about sex, normal. Mm-hmm. Masturbation, natural and important to their development. But what has changed since, I mean, I was going to say since we were young, but not even since we were young, like in the last 10 years, yeah, um, is that the paywall and all this stuff has dropped. Mm-hmm. And so they can find anything they want and, you know, a whole lot of things nobody wants <laughs> right at their fingertips mm-hmm. at any time. And, you know, sometimes without wanting to, sometimes...
0: Um, sure, that can know, often be the beginning. The beginning is somebody just shows you something. I, my um, eyeballs popped out in your book when yeah. you said that masturbation is synonymous with, or the assumption is pornography and masturbation are kind of... Linked, yeah. yeah, that you learn to masturbate in tandem with porn.
1: So when one boy told me that on his crew team that there was a guy who had decided that he wasn't going to use porn anymore. And um, they were all like, well, what, how, are you gonna what, how are you doing that? Yeah, and he said, I'd use my imagination. And, they, and the boys were like,
0: whoa, whoa! <laughs> how do you do that? So I was thinking when I read that, why was I so startled by that? And I think yeah. it's because I just assumed that the imagination was still available and really it's getting.
1: um, Their imagination is getting hijacked. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really, I mean, just in and of itself, it's unfortunate. One of the guys said to me, um, actually I think it was one of the most poignant comments about porn. He said, it just destroys your ability to be innocent in a sexual relationship. And the whole idea of organically exploring sex and pleasure with a partner
0: is um, destroyed by pornography. So one dad um, that I spoke with said that he has four sons and he's said to each of them from as early as he kind of felt like it was necessary, which was around nine or 10, yeah. um, that it was really important for their sexual experience and for their pleasure over time to avoid porn. Because there could be a time and a place for it later, but he really wanted to share with them that exploration and that imagination and that kind of unfolding of all of the new things that are going to happen to them will be completely hijacked yeah. um, by using porn. And it's easy. And it's and you want them
1: to be able to um, distinguish between what's super arousing mm-hmm.
0: versus what's actually pleasurable. A mom called me because her son, again, I think he was seven or eight, was, you know, Googling and you can say Grooms all you want. Or something, yeah. yeah, you can say to set and and should set um limits, safety I mean, limits yeah. on your on what kids can look up, but you cannot once they're out in the world or going to a friend's right. house, you can't, you need to prepare your kids for yeah. what they might see. So these conversations have to happen earlier rather yeah. than later. Um she found out that it started, you know, she saw in his history that he had looked up quite a few things and it got to some porn. And she thought he was too young to even have to worry about that. Yeah. And so when she talked to him about it, he felt he cried because he felt so ashamed because he kind of was interested in getting more of it. Yeah. So I think that that conversation, which is impossible at that age to really process yeah. or understand, um, but as kids get older, understanding the difference between pleasure and this hyper stimulation is a really important point. Yeah.
1: And a lot of the guys, even, you know, if they felt their porn habit was reasonable to them, you know, by their definition, they still sometimes would like cut back or think like, whoa, this is, I mean, it was actually, I will say that pornography was one of the things that boys most wanted to talk about. Really? Yeah. It was, I mean, it was hard for me not to write an entire book about it because. I'm sure you could. um, I could have. (laughs) Yeah. um, But because, um, because it was one of the biggest I think it was a huge it's a huge change in the uh-huh. culture that you know that
0: just the quantity how much is a 15 to 18 year old or god 13 to 18 I mean, year old Well,
1: I mean it depends but but I never asked a guy whether he had seen porn. You knew because that, of course that they would have made me look I, that would I've, I would have lost all credibility. Mm-hmm. So I would say when did you first see porn? And and in the average age you know it was middle school. Mhm. Um, sometimes earlier, you know, usually if somebody had shown it to them, and usually the, a, a lot of times the first time it was because mm-hmm. somebody spun a phone around or sent them a disgusting meme or, you know, their friends were doing it or whatever. Um, and then curiosity and then, peaked. And then, you know, and then they go through puberty and then there it is. And, and that's what they have started to just kind of learn is the process. So they link that, you know, desire, arousal, release. With porn. With porn, um, and again, you know, sex is not necessarily the problem. It's this distorted idea that, you know, sex is something that men do to women, that mm-hmm. women's pleasure is a performance for men, that bodies are distorted. And obviously also, you know, there's all kinds of different porn. There's queer porn, there's ethical mm-hmm. porn, there's feminist porn, but that's not really what the boys are looking at. I mean, I just and you know, and what adults look like look at, excuse me, you know, whatever. What I'm really talking about is the mainstream stuff that you
0: get on someplace like Pornhub that boys are looking at if boys are watching porn and using that a little bit or a lot of bit as their sex ed and the idea of having conversations about it is fine for them they're open to it and a way into those conversations is just to start with so I actually think that's a very good suggestion for parents of middle school and up is when's the first time you saw it versus have you looked at porn yet right You know, of course, they're going to say no, right? (laughs) Yeah, no. I think that's a great tip. (laughs) Yeah,
1: um, and and what the difference? You know, and say, you know, you really need to know the difference between what's real and what's not real. It's not good enough to just say that's not real because obviously something about it is real. So what is real? But you know, the the way that. you know, that bodies are the ways, it, it has no sensuality, there's no playfulness, there's no messiness, there's no consent often. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, why does porn keep getting more sort of aggressive mm-hmm. over time? Um, what, it, one of the things I talk about in the book is sort of how seeing something that is at once objectionable and sexual, um, how our brains work to turbocharge arousal around that, um, so that's something that I think is helpful for boys to understand because it can be confusing if your body responds to something that, that your mind you is. aren't, yeah, that you're, uh, you know, uh, upset by or repelled by. And to understand that that doesn't mean you're into it. Mm-hmm. You know, the body does what the body does. Emily Nagoski, who's one of my favorite writers about sex, um, likens it to sort of being tickled by somebody that you don't like. You might laugh. That doesn't mean you're having a good time. I like that. Yeah. So, I mean, and and that's all, you know, again, I feel like part of what I wanted to do in writing the book was to give parents and give boys um, something that they could look at to help them understand and jumpstart that conversation. So if you sit and, you know, you read that porn chapter, there's a lot of stuff in there <laughs> that you can have a conversation about with your son or that you can point to, to your son. Like even the fact that I, I cite a study in there It says that college guys who watch porn are less satisfied with their partnered sexual experiences and with their own bodies and with their partner's Mm -hmm. bodies. Well, okay, let's talk about that. Let's think about that. What what does that mean to have your real-life experiences undermined um, by porn use? I mean, do you want that? Mm -hmm. So what are alternatives? I mean, I've had mothers say to me, is there good porn I can point yeah, my son
0: to? I'm sure. I think it's a little over the line I to mean, curate I, your son's porn. Sorry. <laughs> right. To be clear, I mean, I'm sure you've gotten yeah. that question, not I'm sure there is that porn. I think it's a little over the line, yeah. And I mean, it's I like wish buy, I could say, yeah, like,
1: get them, right. you know. No, you're not, not going to buy some, them their alcohol yeah, or drugs either. Them. Right. Um, so, no. But you can encourage them, you know, to, to think more critically about it. You can encourage them to think about, and again, Probably rather poke yourself in the eye with a fork, but mm-hmm. it's in the book for them to read. Mm-hmm. Um, masturbating in different contexts, not mm-hmm. always have a death grip on your penis, not right. constantly toggling back and forth <laughs> between, you know, the 10 clips. Um, maybe, I mean, Emily Nagoski suggests romance novels. Um, some, you know, reading those sometimes, and I know that sounds goofy if they, you haven't looked at them for a long time, but they are really erotic and explicit now and they center female pleasure. That's a good thing. Right you know, maybe guys would
0: enjoy reading about authentic female pleasure, you know? I mean, given how much sexting there is, I'm sure that yeah. they would at least get something, you know, that that, that is a better direction. Um, but that's a hard conversation to have because like, you know, with all things that we're going to say to our kids, where they're going to roll their eyes or right. be horrified or cringe, they still hear us.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Exactly. And I always think back,
1: I had one of the um, rare mothers who, uh talked more openly than I wanted her to about sex. <laughs> and I would just I would, I would plug my ears and hum and say, la 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 la, I am not listening, I'm not listening. Stop, 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 mm-hmm. stop, stop. But I did get the message. I totally. did get the message. Maybe I didn't get, you know, everything she said, but I got a fundamental message that she wanted to get across to me that mattered yeah. to me when I was old enough for it to matter. And then I will tell you, my mom died a few years ago, but I'm sorry. And when she was in her 70s, um, I was sitting on the couch in the living room and she came up to me and kind of poked me in the ribs and said, doesn't stop when you're in your 70s, you know. And I thought, ow! <laughs> Thank you. Ow! <Ew! laughs>
0: That's, yeah But you know what?
1: That message it good meant to hear. Even At that point, that mm-hmm. message mattered. It mattered.
0: I think it's so true and important to remember that those messages, and by the way, we both, whatever those chances are, I, I feel the same way about the, the cringing that I did and the very open um, discussions that I wouldn't call them discussions because I didn't want to talk you about it. You were too busy yeah. not speaking. Um, but I would say I, it very much was an important yeah. message and my own pleasure and yeah. the the choice of partners or that this wasn't a bad thing. It just yeah. needed to be the right yeah. times or, you know, all of the those messages It's also a chance to deepen your
1: relationship with your child,
0: Mm.
1: you know, start scaffolding towards an adult relationship Mm -hmm. and to show up and to show them that, you know, this is how you have a difficult conversation. Because how can we expect them to have a difficult conversation if we can't have a difficult conversation? So it gives you all of that. And I was not born being able to sit and talk to a stranger (laughs) on a podcast about sex, right? I mean, that was not natural. (laughs) I would rather fall into the ground than have those conversations myself. Um, But you learn, Mm -hmm. you know, you you do a lousy job the first time and you learn. And I feel like as a mother myself of a teenager, um, it's been invaluable. And, you know, yeah, there are times when my daughter just is like, enough, but um, (laughs) I feel like it has really broadened and deepened and enriched our relationship and made our relationship more authentic Hmm. to be able to learn how to have these conversations. And I am not in saying this, saying that we have a perfect relationship or that we don't drive each other crazy or fight or that I don't make just, you know, face plant mistakes because I do. We all do. We all do. Um, And my daughter, if you had her on here, would be the first to tell you that was true. Mm -hmm. But she has also said to me that she, over time, that, you know, When I've had, when I've said like, remember that conversation we had, like, you know, when you were 14, what do you think about that? And she'd say, you know, I I understand now why you wanted to have those conversations with me. She doesn't always understand why I'm having the conversation in the moment. Yeah. But she understands it later on.
0: And I think also for girls to read this book and for mothers to read this book in the context of, again, what is going on in our world, it can help. Bring that compassion you were talking about into this discussion because it shouldn't be about, like, us against them or um, who's going to have more power. Right.
1: And that can feel hard sometimes. Yeah. It can be easy to be angry. um, Very. Because there's a lot to be angry about. (laughs) Yes. As a woman or as a girl. Um, but. In the end, and and it's partly why in the book, you know, in talking about assault, I go to restorative justice mm-hmm. um, as, as a tool, as a way to help not only bring somebody who has wronged somebody to justice and hold them accountable, but also to um, help heal and try to help them move forward as a better person. So I do think a lot, you know, I think a lot about the individual boys I know. And I think about the individual boys that I interviewed and... They are all people that I feel tremendous compassion for, who are sometimes caught in a system that is giving them really bad messages about who they are and who they should be and how they should treat people and what we can do to change that. And I really think, you know, the only next step in the Me Too movement is to turn our gaze compassionately to boys and raise them to be the best men they can be.
0: I love that. I want to go back to that masculinity trap and address how you mentioned these mixed messages Mm -hmm. that our boys are getting. And what do you think is happening where there's the Me Too movement Mm -hmm. and we're talking about helping boys and people in general see vulnerability as a strength. And yet we also have been validating some pretty aggressive sexual behavior by just the choices that we've made culturally, politically. Um, What, you know, so when a parent says, you know, how do I, with the cringe of knowing that they're apologizing and asking the question, but wanting their kid to be less sensitive or less Mm -hmm. of a wimp, what is the response? Because you can't really say, Listen, we're raising a different kind of boy, right. and because we w- we might say we want to, but do we really want to? If we're whispering on the side, well, how do I make sure they're not a wimp?
1: Right, we all collude in it, right? Yeah, we all collude in it because it women, seems women like and men the following the path and raising that hard guy, they'll get rewarded, right? They could be at the, they the could be president, president of the United right? States, so um, and, but. It comes at a tremendous cost to boys um, and it comes at a tremendous cost to their partners. So when we're looking at these statistics like that boys who hold more rigid ideas about masculinity are six times more likely to sexually harass girls, that they're more likely to bully, that they're more likely to be bullied. They're more likely to be violent. They're more likely to have violence committed against them. Mm -hmm. They're more likely to be depressed. They're more likely to binge drink. They're more likely to get in car accidents. I mean, the list goes on and on. And so when you're trying to um, inculcate your son with this idea that he should completely detached from his own vulnerability,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you are doing him a tremendous disservice for his own mental health and well-being, not only for that of his partner's. So, you know, focusing on resilience, focusing on what it means to be a full person, that doesn't mean that a person's a wimp. I mean, where think that through. You know, is that really what that means? Is that really the masculine role model mm-hmm. that you want to look at? Is Trump really
0: what you want to be raising right. here? Right. You and know? And that resilience... Doesn't come from being told to have, you know, like suck it up and not be upset.
1: No. And boys, you know, they really resoundingly feel that when they are upset or sad, that they're expected to suck it up.
0: So there's still that message. That message
1: is very powerful to boys. And so as one guy said to me, the only thing I'm allowed is happiness and anger. Mm. So that means that anything in the wheelhouse of sadness or frustration or shame shame mm-hmm. goes to anger. And Very that, quickly and very naturally because that's okay. Very quickly and very naturally anger against others, anger against themselves. And rage. And rage. And that is a very dangerous thing in so many ways. It's unhealthy. Even if they don't, you know, explode and go punch somebody or assault somebody or harm themselves. It is a terrible way to live. And so, you know, when you're looking at your boy and seeing that he's emotional, instead thinking about how to help him name those emotions mm-hmm. and how to help him manage those emotions in a way that is real and healthy and, um, and allows them to exist and be processed. That's what is going to raise a resilient child, not telling him to man up and stop
0: feeling that way because it's embarrassing and shameful to him and to you. Right. Then it's the last time you will hear about that feeling, but it's not the last time they'll feel that feeling. No, and, and will they, will, and they in won't anger. be able to yeah, identify absolutely. it. I mean,
1: one of the yeah. one of the pieces of research that really fascinated me was seeing how hard it was for adult men to identify yeah. emotions that they feel.
0: It's remarkable. Yeah. It is remarkable. So this
1: thing in me that I am feeling, I don't know <laughs> what that is. Well, that's sadness. Right. My friend. And you need to be able to feel that.
0: In fact, when young children or any boy, and this can happen with girls too, but we're talking about boys right now, express anger, to your point, it's really important for parents to step back if they're like, whoa, where did that come from? Right. And think, you know what, this may be the one that we've really been Able to name. And so that's yeah. how it's coming out. Yeah. And if you can pull apart and tease out what's right. really going on, that is the huge. You're service. frustrated.
1: You're sad. Yeah. You're betrayed. I mean, you to be able to give them the whole emotional vocabulary. We know that, you know, it's called emo diversity. Mm-hmm. That's the fancy word, right? That the ability to name and express emotions, the whole range of emotions in a appropriate way is fundamental. To human well-being. So when we cut boys off from that, we cut them off from themselves. I mean, I really felt after writing this that with the girl book, it was a lot about how girls were cut off from their bodies mm-hmm. and their body's responses. And with boys, it's really about the impact radiating outward of being cut off from their hearts.
0: Thank you for listening. There's a lot more to talk about and we don't have time for Q&A today, but that'll be back next week when I am speaking with an incredible professor and author and mom who wrote a book called The Anti-Romantic Child, Priscilla Gelman, who wrote a love story to her son who has autism. And she talks about being the mother of an autistic child in the context of all the expectations that we have when we think about having our babies, and how they're going to turn out, and what our expectations are for ourselves as mothers. It's pretty incredible. And I hope you have a wonderful week. If you enjoyed the show, don't hesitate to subscribe, rate, and write a little review. And thank you as always for giving me your time.